This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. I really believe that inherently if you stay static for more, even three months in this industry, you're likely to be missing out on opportunities of arbitrage. And your job is essentially to generate the best return at spend. So you should not miss out on those opportunities if you want to justify your salary. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm joined today by uh, Fabian Nicolas, who I'm very excited to have. Uh, Fabian, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. So the name is Fabian Pierre Nicolas. Uh, essentially, I've been working at Smart News for three and a half years uh, running the mobile growth. My background is primarily like mobile games. Uh, I've worked at DNA, Perfect World, and a few other places like Ubisoft. Um, and, you know, at core, I'm leading and making sure the app is growing in the US. Uh, we are a leading global news discovery app. Okay, I have to ask about the transition from gaming to non-gaming and, uh, and what that was like. Uh, do you find that your your atmosphere is completely different? Is the work completely different or it's same animal? I think, you know, I will almost put it as like you're changing business model, but as well, you're changing consumer base. So, you know, there is like two mindset change, right? Like gaming, at least the type of gaming I was in charge of, you're mostly monetizing core gamers around in-app payments. So you have a few percent of your audience that generate like all your revenue and the rest that's mostly enjoying for free your games they will otherwise have to pay for. Um, and I think, you know, it's extremely interesting. It's like, so you have to be very focused in terms of the channels and the product and you have generally speaking high LTV for those users. And my current business model at Smart News is the exact opposite. So our use case is very broad, right? Um, over half of the people in the US are connecting with news on a daily or at least weekly basis. Uh, but at the same time, your lifetime value is uh, much lower, right? So you have to create very different solutions um, versus when I was in gaming. And I think that's uh, essentially engaging for me. And I think a lot of the mobile marketers that made the transition from gaming to gaming is you have to rethink the way you approach mobile marketing and the way you approach your stack and the way you approach your team um, so that's, and for me, that was exciting to, to just change after almost 10 years in gaming. Pretty cool. So let's, let's talk about KPIs. I mean, if you're not going after the whales and you're not going after kind of the in-app purchase and the lifetime value the same way, how do you measure growth? What's your kind of key KPIs? What are you looking for? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I think I always tend to divide in two types of buckets, right? Um, first, there is the short term. So our, our perspective and I guess a good proxy metrics we selected against the long-term LTV is the cost per day seven. So we define our loyal users as someone will start using our app and stick around for more than seven days. Then they are likely to stick around for a pretty long time period. So we optimize first against the cost um, per day seven. 
by your user. And then we take a look, of course, on the long term. Uh, ultimately, uh, we sample a certain time period, for example, two weeks and 30 days. And we look at whether we're recouping or not against a projected 720 days, so two years lifetime value. Again, as I say, past seven days, our retention curve is relatively flat. So I think as a result, we could take the two weeks and, and four weeks sample and extrapolate to two years. Um, and that's typically what we optimize against. And of course, there is a lot of other metrics we look at right on a daily basis that are uh, engagement and monetization related, but I'm mostly speaking about what we optimize for the acquisition side, which is what I'm leading. Makes sense. Um, and can you give me kind of a rough idea of scale? You know, how many, what's the audience size approximately that we're looking at? You don't need uh, exact yeah. numbers. So I think what's nice with smart news compared to some of my previous companies, we're extremely focused on two key markets. One is Japan and one, uh, the second one is the US. So globally, we have over 50 million install and we have over 20 million monthly active users. Uh, that make us essentially on the Japan side, we're number one app and news app. So like I think our next competitor is probably like about three times smaller according to Appadi compared to smart news. So clearly market leader, very high awareness as well. Uh, in the US, we're more on the challenger position. We already entered the top five. Um, so we're right behind, uh, let's say Google news on Android in terms of total time spent. Uh, but again, we're top five. We're not yet number one. So that's what we aspire to be. Nice. Oh, we could go on a whole other tangent about Japan versus US and kind of the, the different sides there because of the two markets to really go after. Those are very, uh, very distinct markets. There's, uh, yeah. I'm sure, many, many interesting insights from that too. Um, but I'd love to talk today about, I mean, I think... Um, you know, when you think about mobile and you think about kind of uh, app optimization, a lot of a lot of thought goes into performance marketing. A lot of thought goes into kind of that uh, more rapid uh, feedback UA, maybe I guess uh, I would call it. Um, and I know you guys have uh, have dipped into the TV market, and I'd love to uh, to get an understanding of, you know, let's let's start with what made you consider TV. What was the what was the thought process that went into going and uh, and starting there? Yeah. Yeah. So I think both in Japan and in the US, we have leveraged TV for an extended period of time as a channel to keep growing, essentially. And so the way we looked at it is we, you know, at the time, uh, so it was like circa late 2017, early 2018 for Japan and then uh, mid 2018 for the US. Uh, we took a look and we say, okay, let's look at a series of conditions. Are we struggling to find a new mobile or online channel? that's return on that spend positive. Uh, and you know, that's pretty much a yes or no question, right? <laughs> have you been experimenting with a lot of things that are not working out on that? The second one is, are we spending you know, pretty good amount per month, right? Like let's say a million plus in the US. Um, AKA, you know, like you have essentially the capability to, to, to spend at scale uh, and need to find another channel that's have some scale. The third one is, could we, do we understand the target audience and could we express in like 15 seconds, let's say the value proposition of the product? And then do we have a significant chunk of our audience that's over 40? That's especially true for the US, Japan, TV audience a little bit younger. Last but not least, you know, that would have been the dream, but uh, celebrity endorsement or well-known IP could help, right? So taking a look at those five things, we were like, well, we're not meeting the last one, well-known IP celebrity endorsement. However, 
we are definitely in the four other buckets um, at the time that I'm discussing. Therefore, we decided to go forward and, and you know, test TV as the channel. And that worked extremely well in Japan and quite well as well in the US. So how do you start? I mean, when it comes to TV, it's obviously it's not a cheap uh, experiment necessarily to play around with. Do you have uh, a light version, a dip the toe in and kind of feel the waters of TV or do you have to go all in? Well, no, I definitely think like every channel um, that you're running for performance, you could, you know, test slash dip your toes in, in, uh, in TV, into TV and then see if it's working or not for us. So my, I will say recommendation and says, well, like all the agencies were pretty consistent there. And I, we did the math afterwards as well to check that those budget recommendation made sense is to have at least $200,000 in the US if you want to test TV. Why? Well, first, you need to build creative. Um, so even if you're trying to keep it scrappy and cheap, you know, uh, you're probably looking at like, you know, 30, 40K, right, to make a few creatives happen. And that's when you work with cost-efficient agencies. So 200K, boom, you have 40K, let's say, that goes to creative, right? And then the $160,000 that's left will allow you to test the creative slash channel. So let's say CNN or... Uh, you know, uh, ABC and so on, and then they part, right? Uh, CNN primetime is not the same as early morning and so on and so forth. So, so you want to really test those different permutations with the 160K you have left. And this budget should give you the, you know, a few things that should give you uh, the capability to measure. Let's say if you are doing that for like three weeks, what is the incrementality versus your baseline of organic users? And what's working better for your product, as I say, in terms of creative and channel and day parts. So I think, you know, depending on your product, right, you will have produce creative, you will have different, um, uh, you know, different options in terms of channels and day parts. So taking two example, Calm was working really well for them was evenings because it's about relaxing and sleeping. So evenings, typically late evenings have like very low CPMs. So they could arbitrage and focus on CPMs. For us, it was about the high attention time, right, on news channel. Why? Because we're about news, right? So uh, we needed not so much low CPMs, but really high response rate. Ultimately, that's what worked better for us. So, you know, it's hard to predict, depending on the app that people are promoting, what will be best. And that's why you need, essentially, this 160K testing budget. To play around with the with the different kind of slots, you mentioned incrementality testing and how you kind of measure over the organic baseline. I think that's something that prevents a lot of developers from going into more kind of brand marketing side of things. Is you know how can we accurately measure it? Can we accurate accurately attribute it? Especially if there's other you know usually things don't happen in a vacuum, so there are other activities going on. Um, you know, can you share a bit about how you? narrow in and kind of confidently attribute changes to the TV campaign and, and create some kind of ROI calculation for that? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, both in Japan and the US, we had a fairly clean slate when it comes to offline uh, or untracked activities, I will say. Um, so that's, you know, the, the first caveat, right, versus like companies were running like millions of dollars of outdoor and so on at the same time. So uh, taking that into consideration, we, we really had like two attribution logic in parallel. 
The first one is we did look at, you know, what was the baseline, essentially the number of organics per day for a period of two weeks before we started TV. And then, you know, what was the, the new average for the following two weeks, right? When we did TV. And that's essentially just, okay, this is the TV incrementality. Um, but then, you know, that does not allow you to optimize for specific TV channels or creative and so on, right? So for that, we used a tool called TV Square, which was integrated with our MMP, Adjust. And essentially TV Square, what they do is you pass them all your pre-organic install. For each of them, they will give a fractional value to say whether a user came from TV or not. And this fractional value is based on ingesting all the, the times that your TV had aired and taking a five to 10 minutes, depending on the amount of money you spend on the given ad window and give, uh, each of those users the fractional value, add all those fractions and essentially say, okay, you had 15 style coming from this app, for example. Um, so that's, I will say the baseline attribution we have for, for our campaign. And then pretty quickly, we, we noticed a few things could be added. The first one is you can measure the age and gender of the users coming from TV ad through Apple search. Of course, it's just a sample, right? It's the user searching on iOS. Um, so it doesn't give you a perspective on Android and so on, but you know, it, it was better, um, than, nothing. better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing we noticed is that there was a re-engagement effect. TV help uh, getting Blaps user back into the product. Um, and then, you know, last but not least, one thing we we'll figure out relatively quickly through interview of peers was, you know, you need to reestablish the baseline, of course. Um, and so about every three months, right, like in our case, the impact was declining relatively quickly when we post TV. So we were posing the campaigns, waiting two, two to three weeks, sort of a blackout period, and then remeasuring the new baseline for organics uh, for two weeks and then restarting TV. So basically, my next question was if you kind of saw any longer term impacts. I mean, were you able to maybe move up in rankings anywhere or you're saying it's kind of a it's a quick, quick hump and that's what you've got? Well, OK, so the, I think the, it's, you know, there is like the install impact, right, which, um, as I mentioned, you know, relatively quickly in about 48 hours was going back to baseline. So maybe we were almost like too good at triggering immediately installs. We had like watermark and so on and so forth. Um, but on the other end, from an awareness perspective, which again, wasn't the primary goal for the campaign, we were not going to TV to create awareness, but you do create re-engagement and you do create awareness. That was a lasting impact uh, for our product where we increased by, you know, give or take uh, about 50% awareness, uh, pre-TV versus post-TV. So I think there was a benefit in terms of building attributes like trust, building attributes like, um, you know, okay, it's it's known content, right? It's a known entity for, for the users. Yeah, you know, I think there is, um, there's definitely something I'd say, even especially outside of the gaming world, this concept of you don't necessarily need the same immediate gratification. You know, in games, you kind of, somebody's looking to play now and they're not, uh, you know, there's not a lot of, kind of re-trigger where something like news, for example, might become relevant to you at a later time. And you kind of have that, you know, when you search for something and then you see smart news and you remember that you, you know, smart news is something you've heard of and they're legit. Uh, you, you kind of have that secondary um, trust impact, which I think uh, is obviously almost impossible to measure because you can't follow people's uh, memories all the way down. But 
still makes for something that you might not have in the same way uh, in other kind of uh, performance marketing sides. Yeah. I'm curious, did you guys change anything, um, you know, in, in terms of aligning with the the TV creatives that you use? Were you changing anything in the onboarding side, in the product side, maybe even top of the funnel side, any kind of creatives? Or was it, you know, TV campaign kind of stood on its own and everything else ran exactly as normal? Yeah. Well, um, so in terms of onboarding, I know like some companies do the where did you hear about us survey, and especially when they're running offline, um, uh, especially when they're running multiple channels offline, which wasn't our case, right? So in this perspective, uh, both in terms of we were pretty constrained in terms of resources, the team was much smaller than what it is today. Um, and essentially, we were running only on one offline channel, at least in the US. Japan was starting to diversify uh, pretty quickly, but did not add that to the onboarding. So we kept the onboarding as it was. Uh, the onboarding was already aligned in terms of uh, the messaging of news from all sides uh, was already included in, in our App Store page and in our product. Um, but you know what, what was really interesting is as well the user feedback loops, right? Depending on which ad they were coming from, you definitely could tell that we've impacted, you know, like the reviews, both you know some good reviews and bad reviews uh, versus the claim, uh, depending of what we were running mostly in terms of TV ads. So how do you go into the creative side of a TV campaign? I mean, you mentioned the one bucket you didn't have was IP endorsement, kind of that side. What what's the process like there? How do you how do you create a TV creative? It's much more than just kind of one quick image that you're seeing uh, on an ad. Yeah. Also, first, you know, to, to give credit, so I benefited, uh, my boss at the time, Nishikuchi san was, or SVP Marketing, was running a TV campaign, right, for about uh, three, four months. So when I started planning, uh, they were about three months in. So he was like, we failed on a bunch of things. Let me at least give you my uh, few pointers. And his first pointer was essentially to tell me agencies, regardless of how awesome they claim they are, doing 15 seconds ads are not awesome at 15 seconds ads. They are mostly using creative talent that is trained at 50, at 30 seconds or 60 seconds script writing. So it's like, essentially, you have to be a script writer. Uh, are you game for that? And I was like, yeah, I think so. Uh, I have someone in my team as well that is a native speaker I was able to use for uh, copy editing and, and review. And so that's the first thing, right? If you want to run 15, which is typically much more cost efficient because 30 seconds tends to cost double, right? <laughs> you don't get a special discount for buying a 30 second ad. Um, you know, you will need to be involved in this process. And then the second aspect is for the rest, it's performance, right? Therefore, you need to have different hypotheses that are relatively different one from another and then measure the response rate, the essentially ratio of impressions to number of install you generate. Um, in our case, right, we, we had a more general, like here is why news matters. We had one that was more like feature driven. Hey, you could read news offline in a plane or when you're like the countryside without 4G connection. Uh, and we had two that were about politics because context wise, right, that was about two months before the midterms. So it was a very polarized environment and we wanted to show that the product was bringing both sides together uh, and providing a benefits to both sides. And that was the claim used from all sides. So again, keep applying the good old principle of performance marketing when it comes to creative, where you, you do have very different hypotheses. Don't have like three or four ads that are all the same because the difference is going to be minimal one from another. 
No, hundred percent. Especially, uh, you know, when you have to give it that level of kind of investment before you go in and, and validate the results, you definitely want to make sure you have things to validate that'll give you uh, clear answers. Um, when you find, let's say you find a creative that really it's powerful, it's showing, it's converting, what would you say the lifespan for something like that is? How often can you reuse it until uh, people get sick of it and stop performing? So, you know, for better or for worse, we, we really had a tough time beating a winner <laughs> in subsequent, we did another round of uh, of four ads and none of them won um, against the, the previous round winner. And so I think we were able to run it for, you know, easily three, four months before we started seeing creative fatigue, uh, knowing that, again, I think ultimately it all depends on the level of budget you're deploying, right? If after your initial test of 200K, you start spending 10 million a month, probably not the same thing. We were in much more modest budgets monthly. So I think as a result, you know, the saturation of the audience uh, wasn't as fast as it could have been if we were like hyper aggressive with our, our TV buy. Like one limiting factor, I will say of the, the, this creative fatigue, if you're sticking to performance, right? Where you buy the week before, essentially this heavily discounted inventory, rather than doing those like, uh, you know, a quarter in advance. Um, you will have weeks where you get like, you know, easily, if you want to spend two, three, 400K, you could spend it. And a good example is the weeks after Christmas, but you will have other weeks where you, you know, try to spend three or 400K and you actually end up running 100K. So again, um, I will not worry about it if you're planning a campaign more for like a quarter, if you're indeed planning for a campaign that will be like year-long campaign nonstop, then I think you know planning for creative refresh every three four months makes sense um, ahead of time, and that means planning for budget, right? If you're talking to your CFO. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's kind of review. You kind of touched on a lot of the steps of what you go through when you're setting up a TV campaign. So first thing is your five buckets, making sure that you hit. What, at least three, four? Does it, uh, do you have a magic number there or just, uh, you know? Well, you know, from my perspective, at least, we were at four out of five. Um, I'll definitely not go at it if you have like less than, than you know, not three or more. Um, you know, this is, again, this is a big time and money commitment. So you need to have a pain point in short. So that's, I think, uh, the first point is to establish yes i have a pain point the second step i will say typically because we're talking about a good amount of money a good amount of uh, a good amount of time i'll make sure you have support from your management your c-suite right that they're not you're not the one like deciding okay i'm going to carve out a little bit of budget and go because this is high touch in the extent that traditionally speaking tv campaigns everybody have an opinion about it um, so you want to sell them in get them excited selling your CFO or VP finance uh, again, so that it's not just running the test, that if it becomes a channel, they're aware of it, they plan for budget lines and so on and so forth. Um, and I do think the metrics we just discussed typically help, right? In terms of selling it in strategically, as well as the creative concept you might have on how you're gonna, what, you, what channel are you gonna leverage, you know, what is the cost and so on. Um, the third step, if you get the green light, is typically finding an agencies that understand mobile KPI. You will think that everybody would tell you they understand mobile app too, but actually, you know, just having them, um, you know, do a request for proposal and essentially you have them present to you 
how they will go about it for the test campaign. You'll be surprised by the amount of agency claiming that mobile experience will actually <laughs> don't really understand things in details when, when you come down to it and start asking questions. And they should be able to provide you a high level media planning, um, a few creative concepts and so on and so forth. And again, you really need to analyze those four or five agencies you're talking to uh, on a matrix. So you have preset criteria and you analyze, okay, each of them, uh, whether you feel they're strong, they're medium, or they're a little bit on the weaker side. Because otherwise you have a perception bias, right? You will go for the, uh, the VP sales you like or the co-founder of the agency you like versus going for what's truly the best choice for your company. Um, and among those things, I will look to the ad experience, not just in mobile app and of mobile apps, but as well, ideally in my buckets. So in our case, will it be content, right? Ideally news. And then last but not least, you know, you need to get your analytics ready. Uh, I did mention that, you know, you could work with TV squares pretty much like a normal standard. They work with AppsFire, Adjust, and I think a bunch of other MMPs and just make sure that they're going to start receiving the data when your campaign starts. And then, you know, my last advice, because some agencies are just relying on weekly emails, is I did find it very helpful for my team and for the agency if during the test, at least you have a weekly sync call. So you could go over the metrics, you could discuss the next steps and have a, you know, good grasp on what's happening. So you could, again, have a feedback loop with your top management um, and build this trust. And then uh, I guess I'd say if you could do it all again, is there anything you'd do differently? I think um, I'll just, you know, again, make sure that I, I discuss the, the follow-up budget um, more quickly um, and, you know, essentially plan for success. <laughs> it's, it's probably one advice, like we tend to always focus so much on getting the test budget approved, but ultimately, you know, you need to, to think ahead. Uh, it's probably one thing I could have done at least a little bit better. Um, and the other thing is we could probably have worked more closely, even more closely with the Japan team um, and have them, for example, measure some of the, you know, uh, baseline and then going, going dark for two or three weeks and so on before we started our own campaign since they were already live. So I'll say if you have the luxury working for a global company where there is some experience, make sure you, you tap into that. Um, it ended up working the other way around. We brought back this experience to them. <laughs> um, but I think we could have just be ready a few months ahead. Um, and I think last but not least, um, don't hesitate to bring like other people, you know, for example, UI UX designer and so on to give you feedback on the creative side is I think at least for the the first round, we did it a little bit more in isolation as a marketing group. And I think the second round, when we brought people from our product team, for example, um, that was helpful. Like they, they catch a few things, but as well provided us with more assets than what we had initially. So I will say it's worth collaborating on that, even though it will feel like, oh my, my God, I'm opening the door to a lot more feedback and revisions and so on. Um, I think, as long as you manage expectations saying maybe we have one or two rounds of edits and that's it. And because we have this timeline to hit, I think people are reasonable and they again, provide a lot more value than, you know, the time you may need to manage them. Yeah. I have to say it's one of the things when we talk about 
you know, any kind of creative testing at some point, you have to find somebody who's not in the process and who hasn't gone through all of your edits and kind of pull them in and say, what do you see? Like, you know, being able to pull out of, you get that blindness of your, you're so close to it that you, you can sometimes skip the things that you took for granted and somebody else can spot it in two seconds and you're like, oh, right. That would have been a disaster. So I'm, I'm totally with you there. Uh, and I guess the last question I have on this topic, and I'm sure you're not, uh, you know, predicting the future of TV, but it's worth bringing up, you know, we're in a, we're in a weird zone TV wise, right? Like people are shifting the way that they're, they're consuming their typical TV content. You mentioned that, uh, audience over 40 is a big factor of, of kind of when you're going to TV. Um, do you think we'll be able, you know, do you think there's any kind of uh, scenario where TV becomes obsolete? Do you think we'll be able to replicate, uh, you know, the effects of a TV campaign on a streaming platform rather than kind of through traditional TV? So for now, to your point, at least in the US, I see a split in age, right? And I believe it's happening as well in Europe between like a 40, 45 plus audience that's still using linear TV heavily. A younger audience that's more using it for very special events that are only available on the platform. Typically, Super Bowl could be one or big sports events, right? Um, that have exclusive rights for a TV channel. Uh, you will have as well, like we've seen it, uh, democratic debates, um, as well as the general election debates, right? Will be a thing that a lot of more people are consuming linear TV on different devices, not necessarily in the TV, but, um, you know, there's still this moment in time where a lot of this audience, younger audience still watches linear TV. Um, I think the one challenge, and I, I, this is like indirect experience versus direct on OTT and all those services. Well, first, the biggest uh, OTT service is not using advertising, right? Netflix, and it's a huge amount of, you know, time uh, people are spending on, on this service. Uh, and it's a case as well for Amazon Video and a growing uh, chunk of the Hulu users who subscribe to the, the premium service and so on. You have a lot of eyeballs who are not available for purchase, <laughs> uh, A. And then B, the problem is the ecosystem being, as I said, limited by all the, the opt-out and, and fragmented. Um, it's extremely inefficient and extremely high CPM. So comparatively to what you will get on inner TV, right? Um, you will pay, you know, easily five to ten times more, right, for a similar set of impressions. So I think I have a tougher time in our business model, which is, you know, uh, as I say, broad use case, lower LTV, to imagine how OTT inventory could be competitive for an audience under 45 compared to mobile inventory. So I will say to reach this audience for now, I'd much rather, you know, and we've tested podcasts and so on, I'd much rather still go to mobile marketing. Now for 45 plus, as I say, you know, there's, there's um, uh, still the capability to, uh, to do that. Um, and, and the truth is for, I think the 18 to 40 something, right? There is the competition of influencer that is real. And you have to think like, well, what is going to be my reach on a given, you know, uh, show on Hulu or, or equivalent services um, at a given time versus, you know, the amount of video views some of the infrastructure could get on YouTube or Instagram or uh, TikTok and, and the likes, right? In terms of velocity and therefore capability to measure the uplift. So, you know, 
who knows if TV, I don't, I think TV because there is, you know, ultimately habits are uh, survive for a pretty good period of time. So I think the audience that's now 45 plus, let's say, will, will keep aging and staying on the, on the linear TV side. I think the younger audience, um, well, I wish I had a great answer to that, but for now, I think <laughs> we'll mostly rely on, on mobile marketing. And then, you know, we experiment with the other channels, but I do, my hunch is that uh, influencer, at least in many verticals, will probably be more efficient and provide more velocity compared to OTT. To say I really like that uh, that comparison because I see it, you know, kind of from the the measurement side of the the way you kind of structure TV, the way you structure measurement is really similar to how you do it with influencer. It's kind of that same effect of do I get people to search? Do I get them trying to find my brand now? Um, you know the the effect timeline is is somewhat similar, I guess. You know, I think one of the challenges when it comes to influencer marketing is you don't have the same control that you have in a TV ad, meaning you don't get to craft, you know, your exact message and and choose, you know, the slots when to play it. Uh, obviously, there's different influencer channels, but you're there's very there's a wide range of how influencers will bring in your content and how effective it is, and and you kind of don't get to at least at this point in time you don't get to access that the way you have with TV. But I do think you're right that. You know that just it's it's not conducive to the streaming experience to have the same kind of ad structure the way you have in. A, I'll out myself. I'm not over 45, but I do still watch uh, actual traditional TV in addition to my streaming habits. Um, yeah. You know, it's you're so much more willing to tolerate ads there because it's it's part of the experience than you are when you're online, and it's somehow infinitely more frustrating when you're streaming and there's two ads versus like a whole ad break on TV. Yeah. No, and I think, I mean, to your point, you know, there is influencer marketing where you have much less control and then there is the ad right? we have full control, right? You know, when, you know, where. I think what's interesting is, um, and, and disclaimer, I know Eric and I've worked with him on, on a small game studio I'm advising on a campaign recently. I think what's interesting is now you're going to probably, you, you're seeing a diversification influencer from, you know, the, oh, this video today is brought to you by like five seconds, 10 seconds, you know, intro or, or mid rolls. That was, I think, a, a standard. Um, you had the sneaky, you know, like influencer content where they were not mentioning they were actually, you know, influencer content, which I think now is going down because the platform have been cracking on, on down on that and saying, no, no, hey, you need to mention what you're actually being sponsored for an event uh, for uh, by a brand. And I think you're going to see as well the influencer realizing like they are celebrating their own rights. And I think, you know, the, the, the link I've shared is just one example, but I think you're going to see a lot more um, of uh, people realizing like maybe there is a middle ground between the two, between like full control and no control where you have the influencer, but more in a produced creative. Um, and, you know, you, you leverage that as an end, uh, the current to an endorsement, right? Where you have, a, I don't know, a Tom Hanks selling you something right in TV ads and so on, um, except you're using an influencer for that. I, you know, I, I think it's, um, it's a space that's exciting. It's still a space that, um, having, having tested recently, you know, for example, the uplift for organic, there is, there is a, a great deal of, of so-called platforms, but I think not a lot of them have done the integration work on the analytics to really, um, you know, saying, okay, pass me back the data, let me slice it, dice it for you. So you have a good idea of, of what happened there. 
um, not just on the directly attributed install, but as well on the uplift. So they tend to look a lot that just like, oh, you know, people have used this code, is, this is a number of people, but they miss out on the incrementality. A hundred percent, they miss the entire kind of branding effect that uh, that happens there. Um, okay, I'm moving into the, uh, the quick fire round now of questions we ask everyone who uh, joins us. First one is if you could give just one tip to somebody who's uh, thinking about entering the mobile growth marketing space, what would it be? Well, I think always be testing. It's, you know, the mentality I'm trying to have with the team. Uh, and that means you need to plan for time and budget for that. But it's always good to do 80% on like proven channels and so on where you do some optimization, but like make sure you test like new channels, make sure you test new uh, targeting new products um, and don't be shy about asking for ad credit from your ad platform sometimes about that. Um, but I, I really believe that inherently if you stay static for more, even three months in this industry, you're likely to be missing out on opportunities of arbitrage and your job is essentially to generate the best return on ad spend. So you should not miss out on those opportunities if you want to justify your salary. <laughs> good one um, what's your favorite mobile growth resource Oof, there is a lot so i think you know i'm gonna go from the short form to to maybe like slightly longer form so i really from a quick read perspective and as well you know like eric suffered mobile dev memo his tweets the blog um i think you know he's doing a great job on the insights part right but as well his writing is incisive and typically is, is using very punchy header images. I just love that. Um, I did only like 18 months of content marketing in my, my past life at Apani, but ultimately I think that that does make it for a fun read. And so I'm hooked. Um, I think short form still, Apps Flyer, I really like what they're doing with their whiteboard videos, right? You invite the marketer. Um, so it's coming from someone in the industry, not from AppSolver themselves. And ultimately, they do a great job because in three or four minutes, you will get content that's easy to digest and understand about topics that are really covered in depth at the same time, which is, I think, really hard to do. It takes a lot of like scripting and, and planning around it. Um, so that's the two short format I enjoy. And longer one, you know, uh, beyond the present one on podcast side, which is more recent, I think Branch is doing a really solid job for, um, you know, in terms of podcast interview. Uh, Mada is is doing a great mix of like expertise, but as well tackling the human side of, of the people she interviewed. Um, and then still slightly longer format, Liftoff did a great job on having uh, mobile lunches, right? In period of pandemic, you can't just go and chat with colleagues and so on about things or easily meet people one-on-one for, for lunches. And so that was great to be able to chat like weekly. Um, and, and kudos to Dennis and his team because they really jump on that. I think started, I want to say in May and it lasted and the last cycle was like in November. Um, so it was, was great. And we were getting free lunches at the same time. So can't say no to that. <laughs> so speaking of lunch, my next question is who in the kind of growth industry, uh, assuming that we can go back to normal at some point, you get to take anyone to lunch that you want face to face real life. Who are you taking and why? 
Yeah. Well, I think there is like the the lunch and learn, right? Where you are the one asking a few questions and you're mostly listening. Um, in that case, I will take John Egan uh, from Pinterest, right? He's leading their growth engineering teams, pretty big team. And I feel every time I meet John and we sit down for 30 minutes or one hour, I, I end up learning a lot. So I think he's, he's um, someone I will, I'll take out for lunch and invite. And then if I want like a mix of work, but as well, like, you know, discuss things uh, less seriously, I do think Jessica Bisego from Blinkwist, um, she's very efficient and driven, but at the same time, she could be very funny. So uh, again, if, if, if it depends what the goal of the lunch is, but I will say <laughs> both of them would be great guests for, for lunch. Both good answers. Okay. Most important question. What is your favorite type of pancake? Well, I will say my wife's, you know, uh, she's making those Korean pancakes, which is kind of this, uh, looks more like a donut, I guess you could say. Um, it's with mochi flour and inside you have like brown, brown sugar, cinnamon, peanuts. Um, and she make them, you know, essentially the night before they rise and, uh, and it's fresh cooked in the morning. So that's, that's the best. It beats my, my dad and my mom's pancakes, French pancakes. <laughs> and then I dip them in uh, my homemade raspberry jam, which is the, uh, pretty much the only thing I know how to cook beyond pasta. Um, and that, <laughs> But that's what a thing favorite. to know how to cook other than like pasta, raspberry jam. That's, that's advanced. That's, uh, that's yeah, well, I really like raspberry jam. So I was like, <laughs> could not convince my wife to do it. So I was like, fine, I will, I will do my own jam and my daughter is a big fan as well so <laughs> i have to say i'm not uh i don't i don't play favorites but that's definitely the best answer to pancake and also because i've never tried it now i have a whole image in my head and uh at some point next time i'm in the bay area i'm i'm coming for one of those pancakes it sounds really good yeah i could i could send you the there is a premix version of it uh if you want to you know uh, try to do your own uh, that you could find at Korea. I don't know if there is a lot of uh, Korean uh, store around where you live. There's but... one. We have one. One, but it's a 10-minute walk from where I am. And I have to tell you, I'm I'm pregnant now. So any kind of pancake I can get my hand on is like, it's a must. <laughs> uh, great. Okay. One more thing. Where can people find you if they want to learn more or see what you have to say? I'm very active on LinkedIn, so I will say I probably check two or three times a week because I'm posting there, whether it's about mobile marketing or like this morning, geopolitics uh, or in, in mobile games. Um, and Twitter, I'm mostly retweeting, reposting. So I will say LinkedIn is probably the good go-to place uh, if someone want to connect. And, and please do add a quick message because I feel it makes a world of a difference when you're like, getting a lot of connection requests, knowing why, you know, it doesn't matter how senior or junior you are, but if I know you are at least reaching out for the right reason, right, I'm much more likely to be like, of course, let's connect and let's discuss. That's an additional uh, marketing tip, growth, uh, mobile growth tip thrown in there. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. This was amazing. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to hearing more, seeing more of what you do. Thanks, Esther. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve App Store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Stormaven, thanks for listening.